Grab your Bibles, turn to John 21. Thank you, choir. Thank you, worship team. As you're turning to John 21, if we could, uh, left side of the auditorium, if you could grab the friendship register, the white and black book, and pass that all the way through. And if you don't have a Bible with you, we got some coming around with a Bible. Um, we're in John 21. Uh, but before we get to John 21, I have two things uh, I want to uh, just let you know about and kind of uh, have a little time together as we're getting ready for that. Um, in all this, uh, I just want to praise the Lord uh, for what he's been doing as far as facility. And just want to let you know here, take a couple minutes this Sunday and just give you a little brief update on Future Facility Fund. Uh, last week was uh, the official wrap-up for our 2011 year-end uh, gift portion of our vertical church campaign. And I just want to inform you what the Lord's done on the numbers of that and just rejoice together. Our year-end goal was to seek to raise $185,500. We received just under $180,000 in uh, commitments for that, which is 97% of our goal. And uh, as of the end of this month, uh, February, uh, we received $172,396, which is 93% of our total goal, absolutely. And uh, we're at 96% of commitments. And so I just, uh, I agree. I want to praise the Lord for it. Uh, God's at work. And uh, we're so close to our goal that uh, basically it says we can continue on ahead, and we are. And uh, either either uh, right before Easter or the end of the month or at, right after Easter, we're going to be giving you more of an update on exactly what's going on but uh, just really thrilled and want to uh, thank the Lord for what's going on. And, and if you would like to be, if you haven't been able to, and you would like to be a part of that year end and maybe even get us up to that 185.5 goal, if you'd like to be a part of that, you sure can. You can do that online or grab a, a vertical church giving campaign card and give for that as well. Along with this, we have the other part of the campaign process is the ongoing giving, and that's uh, just a kind of commitment through 2012 of an above and beyond our regular giving. And uh, as of today, we're really right on that uh, track on what we had set as a goal. So I'm just thrilled about that and, and God's at work there. So uh, rejoice, I really. Um, we're pressing ahead and we'll give you some more details here in some weeks ahead. Secondly, I want to make mention again that this is our last Sunday in the Gospel of John uh, through this series. And so I want to let you know what's coming up ahead. Um, as you can see on the screen, after Easter, we're going to be entering into the book of Acts. And we're going to be covering, uh, trying to get through the first 12 chapters uh, in this, uh, over those months. We've been engaged with the disciples and with Christ through this John series. And I just want to continue the story because the story doesn't stop. And so we're going to jump into Acts and we're going to watch these disciples, watch the apostles and how God works gloriously among them and uh, takes them. So for four months, we're going to be doing that. Uh, then for September, October and November, we're going to delve into the foundations of Harvest Bible Chapel. In many ways, this year is going to be a year focusing on the church. And so we're, we've talked about Christ and providing re redemption. Then we're going to be going to Acts and seeing how that carries out and as the church gets going. And then we're going to bring it home and take all of that together and say, what are the things about harvest that just so we drive that kind of down into who we are as Lord willing, we'd love to be able in 2013, be able to see actually a facility 
uh, be put down in our community. And um, we'll see just all what takes place with that. But that's going to involve the four P's, the three W's, and the five G's. Some of you don't know what the five G's are, but we're going to go there uh, with that. Um, Also, we're going to be taking some breaths between each of these series. Because if you're following the months, you can kind of see there's some months that aren't there. So I just want to let you know, actually starting next week, and you can see on the inside page of your update about that, we're going to be going through four Psalms and then Easter. Uh, I'm going to take a Psalm next Sunday, then Nick's going to take a Psalm, and then Eric's going to take a Psalm, and then we're going to go to Psalm 22, uh, Sunday before Easter. Psalm 22 talks about the crucifixion in essence of Christ. And we're going to be looking at that. And then on Easter, we're going to be in Luke 24, the last chapter of the gospel of Luke. And then the next Sunday, we're going to jump into Acts. So that carries on through. And I just want to put out on the table uh, now, uh, be considering praying. And who are you going to invite for, for, not for Christmas, but for Easter? Who are you going to be inviting for Easter this year? I want for you to know that uh, the Sunday before and the Sunday of Easter are going to be very much about the chronology of the events that take place and the power behind those events as they occur. Uh, just even Christ crucified on the cross, the exact things that are happening at that time is stunning, just stunning. So we're going to be doing that. Uh, also, then we're going to be bringing in August, we're going to be doing a month where we're going to take two weeks on marriage, we're going to take two weeks on parenting. Um, we've wanted to do a marriage and parenting conference this year, and so we've decided we're actually going to bring them in, in as a breath kind of during the year. That's when school's getting started and family's getting going. And so we're going to take that as well as um, we're going to, on Mother's Day, I'm going to step out of Acts. We're going to talk to moms. And then on Father's Day, we're going to step out of Acts, and we're going to talk to moms uh, as well. And so through the year, we want to, or dads, <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Poor ladies are like, wow, you got a beef to grind there, don't you? Uh, so we'll be doing that. And then in December, we're going to wrap up with actually going through Luke chapter 1 and 2. And this year, we're going to carry through at Christmas time the story out of Scripture as it carries through to Christmas. Okay? So that kind of gives you an idea of what's going to be laid out this year. And I would not be surprised at all. At the beginning of 2013, we are in the Old Testament. Would not surprise me at all with that. Okay? Now to John 21. Are you there? John 21, our last Sunday in this series. Um, Let's begin. John 21, and we're going to start with the first two words, (laughs) after this. Uh, What's after this mean? Uh, Let me just put this kind of in place on what's taken place. After this means uh, all of the prior 20 chapters. Uh, Jesus has been born, Jesus has lived, his ministry has been uh, shown. He's, he's, he's uh, had John 13 through 17, the evening with the disciples and talking with them all the way to the cross, uh, to the resurrection, and even right before that to then revealing himself to the disciples. And I just say, look in chapter 20, uh, maybe I remind us of verse 27 and 28. Then he said to Thomas, who would not believe unless he saw Thomas, put your finger here. Put your hands here, Thomas. I'm serious. It's me, dude. And how does Thomas reply? Verse 28, my Lord and my God. How personal. Please understand, this is not about religion. This is about a relationship with a risen Savior. Very, very cool. After this, 
Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. The Sea of Tiberias is another name for the Sea of Galilee. And he revealed himself in this way. By the way, the word revealed, he revealed himself. Know this, he has revealed himself. Revealed, manifest, it's self-disclosure. It's the manifest presence of Jesus Christ risen from the dead. We're going to be seeing all what this reveal has to do. So very cool. But he revealed himself. And here's the way he did it. Verse 2, these guys were all together. Seven of the disciples, Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, hey, guys, I'm going fishing. They said to him, hey, we'll go with you. I bet it was a little bit more smooth than that in it. But that's what's going. I want to pause here for a minute because if you're one who likes to do some more research, which is fantastic in studying the scriptures, know this, that as you come about, there can be comments about this activity. And many will say that what's the deal with the disciples going fishing? This is so wrong to have done. Now, you fishermen are like offended by that. I mean, all God's people fish. Uh, kind of a thing. But let me just note to you, Hoskins, he says, actually, this is complete apostasy. He says that this is, in essence, kind of a step towards leaving Christ. Barrett says it's unthinkable that they should do this. Brown says it's an aimless act undertaken in desperation. Uh, Some see this as, why are they going fishing? What's the deal? Uh, But then there's others like Bruce who say, I see no evidence that they are abandoning the John 20, 21 Uh, I am sending you commission that they had received. Uh, Beasley Murray says uh, they have to eat um, and they have to live in the process of it. I'll just say commentator Doug will say this. I'm on the latter part of it. I don't think this is a step away from Christ. I don't think this is any kind of apostasy. They've been told to wait. However, I will just note this. When we go to Acts, you don't see this happening. You don't see times of them, hey, let's just go fishing. It's kind of interesting. But we're in a transition time. So here they go fishing and God is going to use this. So they said, hey, we'll go with you. So they went and got out into the boat. But that night, okay, got it? They're fishing at night. Now, it's been uh, at times where uh, research has been done and going back and it was common in some thought in the day, fishing was better at night than during the daytime. Thus, they were going at night. So they're going at night and they caught what? Nothing. The big zero. Okay, let me put it this way. Miracle. Miracle. They're going at night, the hot time to go fishing. And they caught Zippo. Don't lose sight of God's miraculous working in the details of things. And this is miracle number one in the whole story so far. They didn't catch a thing. Nothing. No goldfish. Nothing. Okay? Verse 4. Just as day was breaking, picturing it in your head, They've been out at night. I don't know how long, but day is breaking. That probably means the sun is just coming up. I don't know how bright it is yet, but day's coming. It's early in the morning. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Was that because it was too dark? Uh, they, they, They could see him, a person, 
uh, but they didn't know who it was. Was it because it was just too dark? Was it because they were just too busy? Was it because uh, they weren't kind of allowed to made know who it was? Yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, uh, the word paideia, uh, it, it does talk about children, but I don't think that's probably actually what Jesus said here. Um, this would be maybe more like lads, hey, guys, kind of lads sounds very British, doesn't it? You know, guys, do you have any fish? And they answered him, what? Miracle. I'm just telling you. How long were these guys out there? And they didn't catch a thing. I mean, bad fishing for them with fishing with nets could be that they caught like three fish. But they've got Zippo. Verse 6, he said to them, hey, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. Now, it's kind of interesting here. It's kind of like, uh, try casting over there over to the other side. You often catch over there. And I just asked, why would, if they didn't know who this was, why would they do it, he says. I just kind of say, God working miracle? Maybe they're tired and discouraged and like, what have we got to lose? Maybe they're like, yeah, let's give it a shot. Or maybe they're thinking, hey, maybe this person saw something over there. But they, but they do that. And so they do that and kawamo. They catch a boatload of fish, a net load of fish. Look at this. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. Miracle. On the one side of the boat, there's nothing. God was involved in keeping the fish away from the net. Over here on this side of the boat, please understand, we're not talking massive distances. On this side of the boat, God had them all over here waiting underneath. Are they like watching with what's going on or what? This is just so fun and so awesome to be able to see our Lord is all the way involved in the very details of life. Verse 7, that disciple whom Jesus loved, therefore, John, said to Peter, Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, here we go, Pete. He put on his outer garment for he stripped his work. He was basically, he was in his shorts and they threw himself into the sea. <laughs> Here they are responding to the manifest presence of the Lord. Uh, I'll, let me kind of put it this way. I think we're kind of seeing and have seen two types of people here. John, quick to insight. John has just always been quick to insight. Peter, Quick to impulse. And he will continue to be that. Here is, here is John. And I just, I have to say this. I'm so grateful for quick to insight people. People who just, I don't know. I, I just love you when people, having people around like that. They're just quick to see Christ in things. Uh, but let me just also note this. Insight people, quick to insight people. Also be careful. Because you can kind of process a relationship with Christ all in the head. And just an observation. And sometimes people of insight can hold it all inside and think a relationship with Christ is all within the head, gaining more knowledge, and it kind of stays in knowledge world. And I just want to say, insight people love you. Be careful on the internal processing because it's more than just internal processing. And here we have Peter, quick to impulse. I love people of action. I love people of passion as well. And Peter is one of those guys. But 
I'll just say quick to action people, you can get stuck in your emotion and you can get stuck in the action of things. And here at Harvest, we say worship, walk, and work. And that can kind of be translated this way. Oftentimes, you can end up getting stuck at work and think that your serving is the same thing as your walking. Okay, be careful with that. Here's the deal I just want to bring out with this. We need both of these. God has called for all of us to be people of insight and people of action. And the fact of the matter is we generally swing one way or the other in the reality of that. And I'll just say this, we need each other. We need each other. I love this team of these two. So Peter throws himself into the sea. (laughs) Uh, The other disciple came in the boat. There he is serving. Way to go, buddy. Dragging the net full of fish. Again, John wants to emphasize this. For them, He was the one who came in the boat. And they were not far from the land, but around 100 yards off. Verse 9, when they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Who did this? Uh, Jesus did. Uh, verse 10, Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. Uh, please understand, Jesus is not a see-through ghost. He's risen from the dead but he's not a see-through ghost. He has a physical reality to him. He has resurrected physically in a glorified body. And I'll just note, so will we one day if you know Christ as your Savior. A new body under new laws of nature. I'm looking forward to that. Verse 11. But can I also note this, just a real quick side note. He was clearly recognizable as to who he was. I don't know what that means for you and I. There are days where I'm like, I vote for a new body. But I don't know what the recognition reality is going to be like. But it is interesting here. He's not a see-through ghost. He is fully recognizable as the Jesus whom they had seen before, but yet functioning under different laws of nature. Verse 11. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish. Uh, What kind of fish? Large fish. And how many of them? Okay, we're going to pause on that just a second here. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Miracle. Why would John put that there? To know that the hall was so big that normally nets would break, but not this net. Please, friends, please get out of this the fact that zero fish, God's at work. Lots of fish, God's at work. Net holding all the fish, God's at work. God is involved in the details. Be encouraged by that in your own life. God's involved in the details. 153. So many fish. (laughs) Why do they put the number 153 in here? I'm not a big fisherman. I like to fish. That's fine. But if you're more of a fisherman or a fisherwoman, hey, the numbers matter, don't they? And especially you've been fishing at a place all the time. You know, if you go to a common lake, I guarantee that if I were to ask you, if you go there on a regular basis, if I were to ask you, so like, what's the biggest fishing day you've ever had at that lake? I'm going to guess you know how many exactly. That's just part of the fun of it. And remember, a lot of these guys were fishermen. And they fished on this Sea of Galilee. And they know how many fish they caught. And this was their lifetime record. And they knew that because they, someone counted it. 
Now, I want to draw attention to something theologically here in the process of how we look at Scripture. I'm going to do this a tidbit as we go along here and, and bring this all together. So just hang with me. 153 fish. What's the meaning of that? Well, Jerome, who lived from uh, in the 300-400 AD time period, uh, Jerome said that uh, he thought the 153 is tied to Ezekiel 47. In other words, it's, Ezekiel 47 talks about life and living water will flow from the temple. And, and he understood that there were 153 species of fish and that there were also 153 species of nationalities. And he saw this as what this 153 is a big deal because it's referring to the fact that the church will be the catching, the drawing net that will draw all nations without distinction unto Christ. That's what he thought the 153 meant. Others say that 153 is the sum of the numbers for the added numeric value of the Hebrew letters for the forward statement of the church of love. When you add those numeric values of the Hebrew letters together, it comes up to 153. Others have said, no, 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 it's not the church of love. It's actually the children of God. That's what it's talking about. Those add up to 153 in the Hebrew letters. Others say 153 being the triangular number of 153 is 17. 17 is a big number. Triangular number, just go, go Google it. It's a triangle. All the numbers are added through and you total it all up. Uh, 17 is the triangular number of 153. So if 17 then is a big number, Augustine said then that 17 is a big number out of this 153. And that means that that was referring to the Ten Commandments and the sevenfold spirit of God in Revelation chapter 1. Others say that 17 is the Ten Commandments plus the Trinity, which is three, plus the four-square design of the New Jerusalem. That's 17. Others say, no, 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 the 17 is referring to the feeding of the 5,000 because there were five loaves and then 12 baskets. That's 17. Um, Here's what I really think it means. There were a lot of fish. I'm dead serious about that. I want to bring this up because we'll see a couple other things here. Be careful. Be careful with Scripture. There is so much funniness that's not funny in what we do with Scripture. And I think they're just, one of the guys counted them because he's a fisher in the lake. And it's like one more time where John puts in here the fact that they caught a massive amount of fish. Miracle. And the net held it all. Miracle. Okay. <laughs> Verse 12. Jesus said to them, hey, come and have breakfast. Now, that was one big breakfast. <laughs> they had all those. Now, none of the disciples dared, look at this. None of the disciples dared ask him, Jesus, who you are. Uh, They knew it was the Lord. I'm going to put in there, sort of. That's kind of what's being said here. This is a really intriguing statement by John. They knew it was the Lord, but yet don't you get this sense of they're grappling with it? You know, sometimes the idea is given that the disciples are just these low IQ guys. And they just don't know any better. Or that the disciples were these guys who were literally in the process. Now, they were caught off guard with what happened. And now they're trying to cover themselves and and figure out how do they make this whole thing come together. And they were pulling off this scheme plan. Well, a statement like that comes in. And these guys, they're still looking at Jesus while he's doing all this stuff. And they're like, I know that's him. But they're actually having a hard time grappling this. Be encouraged. 
Aren't there times where you're kind of like, I know this is real. True? Uh, This is about thinking people. These men are thinking men. They're not conned men. They're not trying to come up with a scheme and put it all together and make a cool story out of everything that'll con a whole bunch of people. They're trying to grasp it themselves. Verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, gave it to them, and so with the fish. I just kind of say in there grappling with it, Jesus knows these guys are struggling with it. And honestly, he doesn't even say anything about it this time. So what does he do? This is what you do to guys. You just feed them. (laughs) Feed them. But I I say that part jokingly, but the feeding part, these guys are watching him. And they're just watching it kind of like, seriously, I I know that's him. Isn't it? And Jesus is just manifesting himself among them. Verse 14, this was now the third time that Jesus was revealed. Jesus was self-disclosed. Jesus was manifested to the disciples after he was raised from the dead the third time. The third time. Uh, We see the other two that John is really referring to in chapter 20, verses 19 to 23 and 26 to 29. Third time. Uh, Let me make this comment. We often equate God to being some giant unknowable mystery. But the text tells us differently. In fact, the text tells us that the Lord is all about revealing himself. The Lord is all about revealing himself. And our world's just like, this is a giant mystery ball. I just know this. Your creator has revealed himself. He's been revealed in creation. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 19 to 20 says, For what can be known about God is plain. Because God has shown it. God has shown it. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived, have been clearly manifest ever since the creation of the world, so they, man, are without excuse. It's also not only in creation, but he has revealed himself in Scripture. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. The scripture is all about revealing who God is. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is God-breathed. God has put down who he is, what he is, what his plans are, and everything you and I need to be able to know about who God is for life and godliness. He's given it all. God's revealed himself. And now here, I'm kind of bringing this, he is in the incarnate Jesus Christ. I just say, on the screen, look, the next picture. He's shown himself for years. To the disciples. The manifest incarnate person, the second person of the Trinity, has shown himself. John 1, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, all things were made through him, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Philippians 2 says that though God took on the form of a servant found in human flesh, he's revealed himself. And now we see it here in John chapter 20 and John 21. Oh, and by the way, may I remind us in what we had even sung and read earlier, Revelation 19, he is going to be fully revealed. Then heaven will be opened. And the one called faithful and true, whose robe is dipped in blood, called the word of God, the king of kings, the Lord of lords will be revealed again. Hey, if you kind of are like Jesus, God is a giant mystery ball. That's not the case. 
God is all about revealing himself. God is all about revealing himself. For what purpose? For what purpose? Well, next point, for restoration. Why has God revealed himself? For restoration. Let's go to verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, well, yes, Lord, you, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because, uh, grieved, kind of like irritated, because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Just some reminder background. John 13, on that night, Jesus is taken. Peter said that he would die for Christ. And that night he lies three times and denies that he ever knows, has anything to do with Christ. Peter sinned. Peter is the flesh is willing, but the spirit is weak, like all of us, guy. And since that night, we know of no Jesus-Peter restoration actually having taken place as a result of that event until now. And verse 15, I love the fact that Jesus starts the conversation. That is so cool. And he starts it again with a question. And a question that probes to the very deepest recesses of Peter's life. Peter, do you love me? Now, I've grown up in church for most of my life, and if you have as well, um, much has been made about the various terms used here, especially the two Greek terms related to the love. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Because Jesus says, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me? A deep love. And Peter responds, I phileo you. I brotherly love Philadelphia. I, I will just say it. I brotherly love you is often how it's talked about. I question the validity of that whole understanding of this text. And let me tell you why. Because when you look through what's going on, one, it just doesn't fit Peter. Peter has never been the guy who is like back down. Peter's never been the guy whose love like is now wimping off the chart. He's all the time been the guy who's like, I love you, I will die for you. And now he's like, I brotherly love you. Honestly, that just doesn't fit for me with who Peter is. But bigger than that, it's actually looking on how John, the author, uses these two words. And I'm just going to say this. John uses them synonymously throughout his book. In fact, let me give you a couple examples if you want to do some study on it. John 3.16, it says that God's love for mankind is an agape love. But then in John 16.27, it says that God's love for mankind is a phileo love. 
He uses both words referring to the same thing. In John 3.35, it says that the father's love for the son is an agape love. But then in John 5.20, it says that the father's love for the son is using the term phileo love. John 13.34, Christians are to agape love one another. And then in John 15.19, it says that Christians are to phileo love one another. I just want for you to understand, I'm coming from the point where I actually think these are synonymous and I don't think there's a big point out of them. I think this is what's going on. Both of these are synonymous and John, when writing this by the spirit of God is allowing both of these to be clearly tagged to Christ, clearly tagged to Peter, but they're synonymous and they mean the same thing. And Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? And he replies and says, I love you. Okay. And by the way, I think when we get in the whole discussion of the agape phileo, we lose the big picture. And here's the big picture. Jesus Christ is seeking to establish restoration with Peter. How cool is that? The one who has been revealed is stepping out again. He stepped up to the cross and now he's stepping out to his own and he's seeing, listen, let's bring this full circle. Let's bring full circle restoration back. I think that's the big point here. But, but, but look at how this happens because here's the discussion. Uh, Peter, do you love me more than these? We don't even fully know what the these are, but we, I think we assume the other guys. Uh, Peter answers with this all three times. You know. It's interesting because he appeals to Jesus' knowledge of something. I'd ask this question. How does Jesus know that? I'll just say, this is so like you and I. This is so like relationships today. I'll put it this way. We are so weak at closing the circle of restoration. Honey, you know I love you. You know I feel bad. Do I really have to say it? Lord, you know I believe you exist. Do I really have to claim it as a vow? Do I really need to drive it in the ground? Do I really need to receive you and make it kind of formal? I mean, you know I believe in you. Can't we just go on knowing where we're at without talking about it? Because that gets too comfortable. How about this? I'll just email you. Jeepers. And true full circle repentance and restoration never actually takes place. Words matter. Vocalized words matter. Karen and I walked down the aisle to get married. Karen's dad, when he was marrying us, didn't just say, I know you love him and I know you love her. Let's go eat. What was important? Stating the vow. And so here in it, I think Christ is what he's doing is he's bringing this to full circle repentance. That's why Matthew 7 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my father who is in heaven. You can talk about Christ. You can think about Christ. You can read about the Lord. You can hear about the Lord and yet never be restored to the Lord. That's why Romans 10, 9 and 10 says that if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord, then you will be saved. 
That's why John 1, 12 says, as many as received him, not knew about him, but received him. That is a clear time of action. Revelation chapter 3 uses this illustration of Jesus is standing at the door and knocking. And he says, behold, if anyone opened the door, I will come in and sup with him. I will come in and reside with him. And, and here's the reality of so often what ends up happening. We, we, we open the door and we have this conversation with Jesus on the porch. And the screen door is still there. The glass door is still there. I've never invited him in. I've talked with him. I've learned about him. I'm like, hey, how's it out there on the porch? And then here's what happens. I shut the door and I go do my life. And then later on, I come back and I come and open the door and talk to Jesus through the window, through the door. And then I shut the door and do my own life. And listen, he's been on my patio all the time, but I've never had him come in and reside in my home. And the point is that Jesus says, listen, whoever will open the door, he's knocking. Whoever will open the door and invite him in, he will come in and sup and eat with him and Do you know about the Lord? Or have you brought it full circle? And I'm also talking about believer in Christ. Are we pushing them out on the patio? That's not the design. That's not the plan. Notice in here, restoration shows It says that Peter feed, Peter lead or tend, Peter feed. Restoration is not about gaining a title. I'm a Christian. So that in itself does not redeem. Restoration is about a life response. It's an action that comes out of that. Jesus comes into my life and I'm a believer because my life is now revolving around him in my home and everything changes. The final note, they're not Peter's lambs and they're not Peter's sheep. They're Jesus's. Peter, feed whose lambs? My lambs, lambs, as in Jesus's. Well, verse 18 and 19. Truly, truly, Peter, I say to you, when, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after this, he said to him, follow me. Stretch out your hands in the ancient world meant crucifixion. Could you imagine that end part of the conversation? When Peter is old, he's going to stretch out his hands. Someone else will dress him. And they will lead him where he does not want to go. Oh, and by the way, by the time John wrote this, that had happened. Most likely in Rome under Nero. Two things. Notice, 19. Death that glorifies God. Have you ever thought of death that way? Are you preparing to die that way? I mean that seriously. Is the Lord going to be glorified in your death? Secondly, I would just point out discipleship costs. Your creator has revealed himself in order to provide for restoration. And lastly, here as we wrap it up, 
to provide the opportunity for redirection. Look at verse 20. By the way, I think the follow me at the end, while there are spiritual implications to that, I literally think because of what we're about to read, it's let's go for a walk. Watch what we read. Verse 20, Peter turned, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them. Okay, follow me. Uh, Don't over-spiritualize it, but there is spiritual truth in that, isn't there? Listen, I told you that you were going to die by crucifixion, so follow me. And then the one who'd been reclining at table with him was behind him, the one who said, Lord, who's going to betray you? In other words, John is walking behind. And Peter saw him and he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Oh, one more time. This is so you and I. Jesus talked to him just to hear about Peter's future. And now Peter is like, hey, I'm curious. What's the plan for John? I'd be thinking the same thing. Or if I really understood I was going to be crucified, I'd be probably in a fetal position, weeping and wailing at that moment. But, but here it is. He turns, and, and I'll just say, <laughs> God directs us on what we are to be doing. And we are so quickly off on the, what about him? How long is his life going to be? That's really the context we'll see here. Or how long is her life going to be? Uh, what's the plan for their ministry? Hey, God, what about him? Hey, God, what about her? Hey, God, what about them? God, what's up? Verse 22. I think Jesus has something to say about this. Jesus said to him, Peter, if it is my will that he, John, remain until I come, what is that to you? You? By the way, you is emphatic. You follow me. Peter, it's none of your business. That's the reality. You follow me. We can be so others focused. We can be so comparative. One may be called to feeding and tending in a pastoral ministry. Others may be called to martyrdom. Others may be called to a long life like John experienced. Others may be called to a shorter life like Peter experienced. One may be called to lame life. One may be called to marriage. One may be called to singleness. One may be called to rich. One may be called to poverty. One may be called to a traumatic-filled life. One may be called to a less traumatic-filled life. Listen, that's God's concern. Jesus is not saying that we're supposed to ignore others and who cares about them. Instead, don't get distracted by people, circumstances, and yourself. Follow me. It's like this. It's like Jesus grabs Peter's head. You know, parents, sometimes we've done that with our children. Look at me, Peter. You follow me. Look it in my eyes, Peter. Don't drift. You follow me. We sheep get so sidetracked so easily. But Jesus redirects. So the saying spread abroad among the brothers that this disciple, John, would not die. Yet Jesus did not say to John that he was not going to die. But if it is my will that he will remain until I come, what is that to you? And I say, I think there's three times in this passage that just shows us how we can get off track with even stated God-breathed biblical truth. Stay on track. Let scripture interpret scripture in the process. And, and what, we, what we get intrigued by, just let that be. And note it as such. 
And let's wrap it. We can have the worship team come on up here. Verse 24, this is the disciple who's bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written? I suppose that the world itself would not contain the books that would be written. The Lord has revealed himself. He's revealed himself to restore, and he's revealed himself to direct. Have you been restored? I'll even say, believer in Christ, have you been walking down a path like Peter where there's lie and full circle has not been come around and you've not brought it to the point of repentance before your Savior and said, listen, Lord, we got to bring this full circle. If you confess your sins, 1 John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Bring it full circle. If you've not been restored with Christ just from a salvation standpoint, Open the door and invite him in. Hey, let's pray. Lord, I want to thank you so much just for this series. I want to thank you for the fact that you have written down for us about the Redeemer, your Son, the second person of the Trinity, the Savior. Father, I would, I would pray if there's anyone here this morning who doesn't know you as their Savior, maybe they've been knowing about you but they've never confessed it. They've never driven the stake in the ground as I talk about here. They've never come to that point where there's been a declaration stated vow before you. Oh God, I pray this would be the day. Whether that means they, someone they've come with and they need to drive it with someone or they come and talk with me or they come and talk with someone up here at the end of the service. Oh God, may we not play around with you. Lord, I thank you so much that you have revealed yourself. Maybe for some today, it's just kind of been like, I know this is true, but, but like the disciples, I'm still trying to grasp it. God, you've revealed yourself. May we see you in creation. May we see you in scripture. May we see you in the revealed second person of the Trinity incarnate. Oh God, you're amazing. Thank you for your patience with us. We are dumb sheep. And yet, the sheep know your name. We know your voice. May we keep following after you. Eyes fixed on the center of the target, Jesus Christ. In your name we pray.